Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Law School of America. Negligence, Latin, negligentia, is a failure to exercise appropriate and or ethical ruled care expected to be exercised among specified circumstances. The area of tort law known as negligence involves harm caused by failing to act as a form of carelessness possibly with extenuating circumstances. The core concept of negligence is that people should exercise reasonable care in their actions, by taking account of the potential harm that they might foreseeably cause to other people or property. Someone who suffers loss caused by another's negligence may be able to sue for damages to compensate for their harm. Such loss may include physical injury, harm to property, psychiatric illness, or economic loss. The law on negligence may be assessed in general terms according to a five-part model which includes the assessment of duty, breach, actual cause, proximate cause, and damages. Elements of negligence claims. Some things must be established by anyone who wants to sue in negligence. These are what are called the elements of negligence. Most jurisdictions say that there are four elements to a negligence action. 1. Duty. The defendant has a duty to others, including the plaintiff, to exercise reasonable care. 2. Breach. The defendant breaches that duty through an act or culpable omission. 3. Damages. As a result of that act or omission, the plaintiff suffers an injury, and 4. Causation. The injury to the plaintiff is a reasonably foreseeable consequence of the defendant's act or omission. Some jurisdictions narrow the definition down to three elements, duty, breach and proximately caused harm. Some jurisdictions recognize five elements, duty, breach, actual cause, proximate cause, and damages. However, at their heart, the various definitions of what constitutes negligent conduct are very similar. Duty of care. The legal liability of a defendant to a plaintiff is based on the defendant's failure to fulfill a responsibility, recognized by law, of which the plaintiff is the intended beneficiary. The first step in determining the existence of a legally recognized responsibility is the concept of an obligation or duty. In the tort of negligence the term used is duty of care. The case of Donahue v. Stevenson established the modern law of negligence, laying the foundations of the duty of care and the fault principle which, through the Privy Council, have been adopted throughout the Commonwealth. May Donahue and her friend were in a cafe in Paisley. The friend bought Mrs. Donahue a ginger beer float. She drank some of the beer and later poured the remainder over her ice cream and was horrified to see the decomposed remains of a snail eggs at the bottle. Donahue suffered nervous shock and gastroenteritis, but did not sue the cafe owner, instead suing the manufacturer, Stevenson. As Mrs. Donahue had not herself bought the ginger beer, the doctrine of privity precluded a contractual action against Stevenson. The Scottish judge, Lord Macmillan, considered the case to fall within a new category of delict, the Scots law nearest equivalent of tort. The case proceeded to the House of Lords, where Lord Atkin interpreted the biblical ordinance to love thy neighbour as a legal requirement to not harm thy neighbour. He then went on to define neighbours as persons who are so closely and directly affected by my act that I ought reasonably to have them in contemplation as being so affected when I am directing my mind to the acts or omissions that are called in question. In England the more recent case of Caparo Industries PLC v. Dickman introduced a threefold test for a duty of care. Harm must be, 1, reasonably foreseeable, 2, there must be a relationship of proximity between the plaintiff and defendant and, 3, 
it must be fair, just and reasonable to impose liability. However, these act as guidelines for the courts in establishing a duty of care, much of the principle is still at the discretion of judges. In Australia, Donahue v. Stevenson was used as a persuasive precedent in the case of Grant v. Australian Knitting Mills, AKR, 1936. This was a landmark case in the development of negligence law in Australia. Whether a duty of care is owed for psychiatric, as opposed to physical, harm was discussed in the Australian case of Tame v. State of New South Wales, Annette's v. Australian Stations Proprietary Limited, 2002. Determining a duty for mental harm has now been subsumed into the Civil Liability Act 2002 in New South Wales. The application of Part 3 of the Civil Liability Act 2002, NSW, was demonstrated in Wicks v. SRA, NSW, Sheehan v. SRA, NSW. Breach of duty. Once it is established that the defendant owed a duty to the plaintiff-slash-claimant, the matter of whether or not that duty was breached must be settled. The test is both subjective and objective. The defendant who knowingly, subjective, which is totally based on observation and personal prejudice or view, exposes the plaintiff-slash-claimant to a substantial risk of loss, breaches that duty. The defendant who fails to realize the substantial risk of loss to the plaintiff-slash-claimant, which any reasonable person in the same situation would clearly have realized, also breaches that duty. However, whether the test is objective or subjective may depend upon the particular case involved. There is a reduced threshold for the standard of care owed by children. In the Australian case of McHale v. Watson, McHale, a nine-year-old girl was blinded in one eye after being hit by the ricochet of a sharp metal rod thrown by a 12-year-old boy, Watson. The defendant child was held not to have the level of care to the standard of an adult, but of a 12-year-old child with similar experience and intelligence. Kito J. explained that a child's lack of foresight is a characteristic they share with others at that stage of development. The same principle was demonstrated to exist in English law in Mullen v. Richards. Certain jurisdictions also provide for breaches where professionals, such as doctors, fail to warn of risks associated with medical treatments or procedures. Doctors owe both objective and subjective duties to warn, and breach of either is sufficient to satisfy this element in a court of law. For example, the Civil Liability Act in Queensland outlines a statutory test incorporating both objective and subjective elements. For example, an obstetrician who fails to warn a mother of complications arising from childbirth may be held to have breached their professional duty of care. In Donahue v. Stevenson, Lord Macmillan declared that the categories of negligence are never closed, and in Dorset Yacht v. Home Office it was held that the government had no immunity from suit when they negligently failed to prevent the escape of juvenile offenders who subsequently vandalize a boatyard. In other words, all members of society have a duty to exercise reasonable care toward others and their property. In Bolton v. Stone, 1951, the House of Lords held that a defendant was not negligent if the damage to the plaintiff were not a reasonably foreseeable consequence of his conduct. In the case, a Miss Stone was struck on the head by a cricket ball while standing outside a cricket ground. Finding that no batsman would normally be able to hit a cricket ball far enough to reach a person standing as far away as Miss Stone, the court held her claim would fail because the danger was not reasonably or sufficiently foreseeable. As stated in the opinion, reasonable risk cannot be judged with the benefit of hindsight. In Roe v. Minister of Health, Lord Denning said the past should not be viewed through rose-colored spectacles, finding no negligence on the part of medical professionals accused of using contaminated medical jars, since contemporary standards would have indicated only a low possibility of medical jar contamination. United States v. Carroll Towing Company, 1947 Intention and or Malice. Further establishment of conditions of intention or malice where applicable may apply in cases of gross negligence. Causation. In order for liability to result from a negligent act or omission, 
it is necessary to prove not only that the injury was caused by that negligence, but also that there is a legally sufficient connection between the act and the negligence. Factual causation, actual cause. For a defendant to be held liable, it must be shown that the particular acts or omissions were the cause of the loss or damage sustained. Although the notion sounds simple, the causation between one's breach of duty and the harm that results to another can at times be very complicated. The basic test is to ask whether the injury would have occurred but for, or without, the accused party's breach of the duty owed to the injured party. In Australia, the High Court has held that the but-for test is not the exclusive test of causation because it cannot address a situation where there is more than one cause of damage. When but-for test is not satisfied and the case is an exceptional one, a common-sense test, whether and why test, will be applied even more precisely, if a breaching party materially increases the risk of harm to another, then the breaching party can be sued to the value of harm that he caused. Asbestos litigations which have been ongoing for decades revolve around the issue of causation. Interwoven with the simple idea of a party causing harm to another are issues on insurance bills and compensations, which sometimes drove compensating companies out of business. Legal causation, proximate cause. Sometimes factual causation is distinguished from legal causation to avert the danger of defendants being exposed to, in the words of Jay Cardozo, liability in an indeterminate amount for an indeterminate time to an indeterminate class. It is said a new question arises of how remote a consequence a person's harm is from another's negligence. We say that one's negligence is too remote, in England, or not a proximate cause, in the US, of another's harm if one would never reasonably foresee it happening. Note that a proximate cause in US terminology, to do with the chain of events between the action and the injury, should not be confused with the proximity test under the English duty of care, to do with closeness of relationship. The idea of legal causation is that if no one can foresee something bad happening, and therefore take care to avoid it, how could anyone be responsible? For instance, in Paul's graph v Long Island Railroad Company the judge decided that the defendant, a railway, was not liable for an injury suffered by a distant bystander. The plaintiff, Paul's graph, was hit by a coin-operated scale which toppled because of a fireworks explosion that fell on her as she waited on a train platform. The scales fell because of a faraway commotion but it was not clear what type of commotion caused the scale to fall, either it was the explosion's effect or the confused movement of the terrified people. A train conductor had run to help a man into a departing train. The man was carrying a package as he jogged to jump in the train door. The package had fireworks in it. The conductor mishandled the passenger or his package, causing the package to fall. The fireworks slipped and exploded on the ground causing shockwaves to travel through the platform which became the cause of commotion on the platform, and as a consequence, the scales fell. Because Paul's graph was hurt by the falling scales, she sued the train company who employed the conductor for negligence. The defendant train company argued it should not be liable as a matter of law, because despite the fact that they employed the employee, who was negligent, his negligence was too remote from the plaintiff's injury. On appeal, the majority of the court agreed, with four judges adopting the reasons, written by Judge Cardozo, that the defendant owed no duty of care to the plaintiff, because a duty was owed only to foreseeable plaintiffs. Three judges dissented, arguing, as written by Judge Andrews, that the defendant owed a duty to the plaintiff, regardless of foreseeability, because all men owe one another a duty not to act negligently. Such disparity of views on the element of remoteness continues to trouble the judiciary. Courts that follow Cardozo's view have greater control in negligence cases. If the court can find that, as a matter of law, the defendant owed no duty of care to the plaintiff, the plaintiff will lose his case for negligence before having a chance to present to the jury. Cardozo's view is the majority view. However, some courts follow the position put forth by Judge Andrews. In jurisdictions following the minority rule, 
defendants must phrase their remoteness arguments in terms of proximate cause if they wish the court to take the case away from the jury. Remoteness takes another form, seen in the Wagon Mound, number 2. The Wagon Mound was a ship in Sydney Harbour. The ship leaked oil creating a slick in part of the harbour. The wharf owner asked the shipowner about the danger and was told he could continue his work because the slick would not burn. The wharf owner allowed work to continue on the wharf, which sent sparks onto a rag in the water which ignited and created a fire which burnt down the wharf. The Privy Council determined that the wharf owner intervened in the causal chain, creating a responsibility for the fire which cancelled out the liability of the ship owner. In Australia the concept of remoteness, or proximity, was tested with the case of Yanch v. Coffey. The wife of a policeman, Mrs. Coffey suffered a nervous shock injury from the aftermath of a motor vehicle collision although she was not actually at the scene at the time of the collision. The court upheld that, in addition to it being reasonably foreseeable that his wife might suffer such an injury, it required that there be sufficient proximity between the plaintiff and the defendant who caused the collision. Here there was sufficient causal proximity. See also Kavanaugh v. Actar, Imbrie v. McNeely, and Tame v. NSW. The Law School of America. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America.